the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, the 17th morning of the last month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Great phone calls in our number one. Appreciate all of them, and uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk to the newly minted for another six years member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland Attorney Mr. Peter Kersenow. Hey, Pete, how are you, my friend? Doing well. 57 days to spring training, 101 to the first game, and I think it's 11 games before Ohio State plays Clemson. So we'll see what happens without a two-time Cy Young Award winner, but, um, you know, I, I, I happen to trust this front office. I know that's a fatal statement to make, but <laughs> I, I think that they've generally been making moves that uh, I... I think are well-founded, yeah. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see what they got back. I'm not necessarily sure I uh, trust what they got back in the Corey Kluber trade. Pete, back to your issue, though. And I appreciate you sharing that news with me yesterday. What I want to know is, have you ever sought treatment for your masochism? I mean, uh, there, are, there, are, there are psychiatrists, psychologists. There are, there are people who can help you, Peter Now, Why do you want to continue to hurt yourself and torture yeah. yourself? Yeah, like well, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it is, uh, it's a challenge. I mean, I've been in the minority on the commission for a long time. Uh, now the commission will have a 4-4 conservative-liberal split, so it'll make it a little bit more tolerable. I think it's important work to do because the commission has a very broad portfolio. We report to Congress on a whole variety of issues. Of course, I testify in front of Congress on a lot of issues from immigration to disparate impact. You name it. It goes on and on and on. But, you know, we've got – the country has gotten so bizarre over the last uh, – well, let me back up. I used to say, and I think I've mentioned to you, Bob, that – if you want to know what the left has in store for the country as a whole, 
come to, uh, come to a civil rights commission meeting. If you want to see what they're going to be doing or what they're planning on doing in five to ten years, come to a civil rights commission today and you'll see what their plans are. Because uh, the type of hearings we have, the witnesses that uh, we, we have before us, will give you a pretty good framework for what their philosophy is with respect to not just civil rights, but the governance of the country generally. And it, at times, can be very disconcerting. And so... I want to be there, you know, standing up the word history, yelling stop, uh, and maybe doing more than that, not just yelling stop, but rolling things back to the place where it's supposed to be. You know, we got the greatest country in the face of the earth, in the history of the earth, and I don't want to see the left ruin it. And every time they try to push in a leftist direction, we've seen a kind of outcome. This is not rocket science. We have proof of what happens when you go in a leftist direction. It's never a pretty picture. Peter, um, I want to I want to dive into, and by the way, that's very well said. And I'm so glad to hear that it is a four four split now. It's not that seven to two minority you had been working on for such a long time with only you and Gail, uh, you know, being the conservative voice there. So it's very encouraging to know that there may be, you know, a little bit more civil rights being granted in the civil rights commission or being supported. Uh, I want to dive into this impeachment story with you now because you know they're um, for, they're meeting to uh, establish the rules today. They're going to have their vote probably. I don't know. Uh, by the end of the week, certainly we know that. I don't know if it'd be Wednesday or Thursday. And we know where this is headed. Now, Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, or majority leader, rather, um, said that he is prepared to work with the Trump White House attorneys in a defense of Donald Trump. The left is going crazy over that, suggesting how can you prejudge his guilt or innocence and work to, to prove his innocence when you haven't even heard the, the facts of the, of the case yet? Um, by the way, this is a sidebar on Hugh Hewitt this morning. Hugh did a great job of 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 uh, following up on that by playing Bernie Sanders, saying that yes, I think President Trump should be convicted and impeached. So he's he's prejudged the case on the flip side. But it's not uh, Bernie. I want you to hear it's Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader, responding to McConnell's pledge to work to defend Trump along with the Trump attorneys from the White House. As you know. <clears throat> The House is expected to vote on the articles of impeachment this week. Assuming the articles are adopted by the House, the Senate will serve as a court of impeachment. Conducting an impeachment trial in the Senate is an enormously weighty and solemn responsibility. It's one of the most important things that the Founding Fathers arrogated to the Senate. Senate Democrats believe strongly that the trial must be fair, and it's very important that the American people judge it to be fair. A fair trial is one where senators get all the facts and one that allows them to adjudicate the case impartially. Two weeks ago now, I told Leader McConnell I was ready to discuss trial rules. Instead of talking to me, he spoke publicly about what a trial may look like, and said he was taking his cues from the White House. It was very partisan, very slanted, very unfair. All right, I'm going to stop it there, Pete, because that's the part, that's the money line there. Here is a Senate Democrat, after watching three months of Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and Nancy Pelosi conducting the most partisan, slanted, unfair impeachment inquiry in the history of the country. Done, most of it, in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol building. 
uh, without Republicans being allowed to call witnesses. Uh, while Adam Schiff instructs witnesses which Republican questions they can answer and which ones they can't, et cetera, et cetera. Now Democrats are suddenly worried about fairness when it comes to the impeachment of the president. Take it from there, Pete. Well, that is a pretty good summary. I'm not sure that I can add a whole lot more to that. It's on its face ridiculous and absurd for Chuck Schumer, of all people, who he took the opposite position during the Clinton impeachment, as did most of his colleagues who were serving then and continue to serve now. So what we saw in the House was the most ridiculous procedure imaginable. It's one of those things that, you know, you like to make reference to what would the founding fathers do if they observed anything like this? And I don't know what they would do, but I'm sure there would be muskets involved. This is, uh, look, when he talks about fair and impartial, when he talks about having an open mind, the fact of the matter is everybody knows, better or worse, everyone knows that what the outcome of this is going to be. Everyone has already made up their minds, and that's because of several things that occurred even before the House took up consideration of articles for impeachment. This impeachment process was inadequately sourced, was not predicated on anything that is supported by the Constitution. Let me back up a little bit. Um, And I know we're going to basic principles, and we've heard this a million times over in the last probably month or so as the House has considered these articles of impeachment. And that is that before you even embark upon a profound process such as this, that is, the will of the people is going to be potentially overturned, your impetus for doing so should be adequately predicated. And that is, you don't simply make things up. You don't hear things from somebody who heard things from somebody who heard it from his brother-in-law at the shoeshine stand. It has to be something upon which everybody, and by the way, Democrats back at another time agreed with this, that everybody, meaning there's bipartisan support for the proposition that the President of the United States, based on extant evidence, appeared to have violated the prohibit prohibitions in the Constitution or the premises in the Constitution underlying impeachment, that is bribery, treason, high crimes, and misdemeanors. We have none of that. What we had was a an unconstitutional process on its face. And I'll say that again. It has been unconstitutional. That is not supported by the Constitution. Now, your listeners are going to say, well, if it's unconstitutional, uh, you know, can it be overturned? The problem is, simply because it's unconstitutional doesn't necessarily mean there's a remedy for the president in judicial review. However, what it does mean is a heck of a lot of elected representatives violated their oath of office. And there could be procedures related to that. I don't think anybody's ever going to follow up on them. And that gets to my point. It dispirits not just the, the, uh, the populace, the, the American people, to see this, But it runs roughshod over the Constitution so that when you have an unfair process in the House, uh, you will necessarily have questions as to how the Senate trial occurs. I would prefer that it be done in, you know, kind of a a, uh, objective, non-biased fashion, that is, have a trial that way where nobody was, you know, dealing with anybody. Now, there's no prohibition in, in the Constitution with respect to McConnell working with 
the White House or anything of that nature. But you would hope that everyone would have gone into the situation because it had been adequately predicated in the House. Everyone in the Senate would go in with an open mind, be fair and impartial. But you know what? We don't live in Wonderland. Everyone knows that going into this, almost everybody, if not everyone, has had their minds made up. It's a political process. It's not going to be followed in the same fashion as, say, you know, a trial in federal court. But for Schumer to say this, I mean, it's laughable. It's risable. What bothers me more than anything else is the media will just report this objectively without any type of commentary at all, as if this is at all reasonable, plausible, or Schumer is, is playing straight and fair. That hasn't happened from the beginning of this process. The media has taken sides, not just taken sides. I mean, they are rabidly against Donald Trump, cheerleading for his impeachment, lying about evidence related there to putting a thumb, not just a thumb on the scale, they're putting an anvil on the scale of the process. The good news is the American people are smart enough, have woken up to this, and it's extremely difficult to move forward with an impeachment at the same time during this impeachment process when a president has presided over record low unemployment rates, raising the median wage, median income for households, raising wages for workers overall, presiding over an historic blockbuster tentative trade deal with China. He has just finished knocking off the couple of top leaders of ISIS and goes on and on and on. Lower taxes, the whole thing. So it's not going to go anywhere. Chuck Schumer knows it's not going to go anywhere. He's putting his best foot forward because the Democrats are desperate. They're scared. They've looked at the polls. They thought they were going to get a big bump out of this. It's not happened. Pete, that is exactly right. And they also are laying the groundwork for continued investigations, which they have also already announced that even if he uh, skates on this one uh, and is not convicted in the Senate, they will continue with new investigations next year. And if he gets reelected throughout the entirety of his second term uh, as president, uh, Peter Kirsten, I'll back with us right after this on AM That's Nancy Pelosi in an interview admitting and acknowledging that the articles of impeachment against the President of the United States have nothing to do with the July phone call to Ukraine. She admitted the impeachment process has been going on in response to a question of the criticism of the speed at which the Democrats are now moving. She said, what do you mean speed? It's been going on 22 months. Then she said two and a half years. Peter Kirstenau, is that not a de facto admission by the Speaker of the House of Representatives that this impeachment is purely 100% political? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, let me, let me be clear. Almost every impeachment is political. Uh, there has to be a criminal component to it, again, or at least a component that's rooted in the clause in the Constitution dealing with bribery, treason, high crimes, and misdemeanors. Um, But we heard, and, you know, all of your listeners have heard multiple times the fact that the Democrats have been crying for impeachment since just 
after the election, not even the inauguration. I know that a lot of people have been pegging it to that Washington Post article 19 minutes after the president was sworn in, but it occurred even before he took office. Sure did. It took, it took, it took place the day of the election, the day of the election. That is when Peter, the I've argued it's in. before that, if I may. I apologize. I've argued it's before that by way of the text messages from Strzok to Page, in which he specifically said we have an insurance policy in place. So technically, impeachment right. was in place before he won the election. Then, as you say, when he won the election, it was time to start acting. And after the, uh, he was inaugurated, then it was time to start publicizing it. So really, this predates his election. And we've got all that video of Maxine Waters, who's got the, I think, the highest IQ in the House of Representatives, uh, talking about impeach, impeach, impeach 45, impeach 45. This is uh, a corrupt process. It's an unconstitutional process. No, I haven't. I I try to to ignore what she has to say. (laughs) Oh, but Pete, this is, but Pete, this is, this is so, this is, this is CNN. I believe it was last night. I woke up to this this morning. This is Maxine Waters on CNN. I don't have the facts to prove it. I believe, even though I don't have the facts to prove it, I believe that Putin wanted to lift the sanctions. He's always wanted to lift these sanctions that were placed on him because of his um, interfering with and uh, incursion into Crimea. And so I believe that they wanted to elect President Trump. And Trump, I believe agreed, I will always believe this, that he agreed that if he got elected, he would lift those sanctions. So she is alleging a quid pro quo between Putin and Trump, that Putin will help Trump get elected if Trump then, when he gets elected, will lift the sanctions on Russia. And she started her commentary, Peter, with the words, I don't have any facts to prove it, but this is what I believe. And in that summary, she essentially summarized the entire media and Democratic, but you repeat yourself, I stole your line. Uh, <laughs> uh, right? I mean, that, that is the, their entire MO. We have no facts, we have no proof, but this is just what we think. This is what we assume, this is what we presume, because we hate this guy that much. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a secular religion to them. They don't need facts. They just believe certain things. She's not the only one. She's probably the least articulate of the crew. She's the most adamant of the crew. But they're all the same way. Everyone from the leader, the Speaker of the House, down to the lowliest House of Representative, the newest newest minted House of Representative, are saying the same thing over and over again. Now, it's one thing to say that for a political reason. But it's another thing to say it in the context of the procedure we're involved in, Bob. And I can't stress this enough, and I don't mean to be prissy about it. But what we're doing is derogating the Constitution in a way that is going to be something we regret profoundly in coming years, because it has just reduced the vehicle of impeachment to a partisan cudgel now. We can't be doing this kind of stuff. Remember now, I don't even, I haven't done the the math on this, but just right off the top of my head, in the first maybe, what, 160 years of the country's existence, we had one impeachment, and then now in the last 40 years, we've had three. But in none of the previous three have we seen the bar for cause lowered to such an extent that now virtually anything is impeachment. Again, she's being, she's being honest that there are no facts that would justify her claims, but 
let alone impeachment. There's nothing there. They even instituted a multi-million dollar investigation with the former head of the FBI and a bunch of anti uh, Trump uh, Clinton supporters to find out whether or not there was Russia collusion. There was none, and yet she's still repeating this stuff. They are impervious to facts, impervious to logic. This is about sheer political power, and it's doing great damage to the republic. Not only is it dividing Americans, but is really eroding the, const- the concept of a constitutional republic, and not just the rule of law, but you know whether or not the people get to decide who our president is going to be. That's that's very serious. And president Trump agrees with you, which is why he said a couple of days ago, you probably heard it, he said, I suspect that someday when there is a Democratic president and a Republican Congress, um, they're going to remember this. And he's right. And of course, the left went crazy about that, too. Oh, my God, he's threatening revenge. Uh, no, it's he wouldn't be in a position to exact that revenge anyway. He was just predicting what is probably going to happen. And it's true. The presidency has been changed forever through this. Peter Kirsten, now back with us for one more segment after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for joining us. Peter Kersenow joins us once again, Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights for another six years to come. Peter, before we get back into the issues, you had a little uh, speaking engagement on Saturday, yes? Yeah, I do. You know, uh, about once a week, I do have an opportunity to speak to various people, um, actually across the country, mainly in Northeast Ohio. And one of my favorite groups is Medina County Friends and Neighbors that is headed up by Started and headed up by the indispensable Lisa Woods, who also does yeoman's work on the uh, Ohio uh, school board. Uh, but these are folks who are so engaged. Uh, we had a great time on Saturday. They tolerated my speaking for a two, full two and a half hours. I don't know how they did it. I'm sure some of them had to take painkillers at the end of the day. But they were also extraordinarily generous. I mean, some of them gave me Christmas gifts, things I weren't, wasn't expecting. And it, it's really a testament to the quality of people who not just listen to your show, but the people that we've got in the United States of America. Whenever I despair about the direction in which the country is going in. And there's a lot to despair about, although, you know, I've, I was always raised to believe that uh, to despair is a sin. But nonetheless, you, you get a little bit discouraged when you see what's going on, when you see an entire political party that's got, uh, you know, some type of a derangement syndrome and a media that's complicit. But then you talk to ordinary Americans, and frankly, that's not correct. They are extraordinary Americans who are making the country work. I'm talking about veterans, active duty people, people who are volunteering at their neighborhood church groups, whatever it may be. And those are the folks at McFann, Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Um, I don't know how Lisa Woods finds the time to do all this stuff, but uh, it's great. One other point of personal privilege for for people who don't have anything else to do. um, I will be on Fox Nation with uh, Bill Bennett on The Wise Guys. Bill Bennett. Alan Dershowitz, Geraldo, Ed Rollins, and me. And they, they brought me in as some type of comic relief um, on Thursday. And also, if you really have nothing to do, if you're not going to church or just getting back from church, maybe you need to go to church after you've seen it. On, on Christmas Eve, we have another segment. We taped two one-hour segments on impeachment, a whole host of issues. And all those guys, you heard that roster of names, they had extraordinarily insightful comments to make. Again, I was just there for the food. No, you, <laughs> you Bennett, Dershowitz, and the rest, that's the core. It was uh, Geraldo's the comic relief. All right, Peter, let's, um, 
I, I want to dive into this now. Um, Rudy Giuliani is uh, coming out now by way of Twitter and on interviews um, explaining what he was doing in Ukraine. And he has conducted a very important and thorough investigation, which, by the way, is almost mirroring some tremendous reporting and investigative journalism. Believe it or not, it still happens. Uh, done by OAN, uh, One American yeah. News Network. Uh, Chanel Rion was on my program last week explaining a lot of this. But, but, but Rudy has come out and said, that he is in possession of indisputable evidence, uh, documentary evidence and multiple eyewitness testimony that will demolish the entire impeachment narrative and, more importantly to what I want to ask you about, implicate the Bidens, thus providing just evidence uh, that, that proves just cause for President Trump to ask the president of Ukraine for an investigation into the corruption that was going on in his country. Uh, and it just so happens to implicate the Bidens. It wasn't necessarily because of the Bidens. Now, no one is allowed to talk about this. Joe Biden sat down for an interview with Axios and was asked about his son and why, how he got that job with Burisma, et cetera. And he, and he's, he said, I don't know and I don't want to know. I don't need to do any investigations because, quote, I trust my son. Um, I trust my son's character. Now, this is a son, by the by. This is kind of, you know, uh, ancillary, but. A guy, a kid who was kicked out of the Navy, a kid who's uh, been busted with cocaine, a kid who left his own wife for his wi- a brother's widow, for crying out loud. Um, so some real trustworthy stuff there going on. But apparently it is taboo to talk about the actual Bidens, except Rudy is coming back and doing exactly that. And uh, also Mark Meadows was talking about it on Fox News. All right, I want to play this. This is what the president said about Rudy Giuliani going back to Ukraine and then coming to him the other day day to report on what he learned. Here's the president. How much has Giuliani shared with you about his recent trip to Ukraine? No, not too much, but he's a very great crime fighter. He was the best mayor in the history of the city of New York. He's a great person who loves our country, and he does this out of love. Believe me, he does it out of love. He knows what he's doing. Do you agree with that, Congressman? Well, I think that that Rudy Giuliani obviously believes that he's got enough evidence there. But let me circle back to something that you said earlier, Martha. And I think that this is a key telling point for my Democrat colleagues. They said they hoped if it were Barack Obama, they would do it. But God forbid it's Joe Biden. They don't want to look the other way. Over a dozen contacts between Joe Biden and President Poroshenko at the particular time when his son was on the board of a corrupt uh, company and yet they're not willing to even look at it. They say it's debunked without even investigating it. I think the American people deserve to know the truth, and whether it's Rudy Giuliani or anybody else getting there, I think uh, most Americans believe that Hunter Biden was making a lot of money that he shouldn't have been making, making based on his testimony. So what Mark Meadows is saying is correct. They want us to believe that any Biden corruption with Ukraine has been debunked without a second's worth of investigation, all because Joe says, I trust my son. Pete, go ahead. Again, with the complicity of the media, this could not pass the smell test. And I think also, based on some of the reporting we've seen, not just from OAN, but all kinds of sources, indicate that this is just the tip of the iceberg, that there's more with respect to the Bidens, but not just the Bidens. Uh, There were reports, as you know, that this involves 
a number of Democrats, and it could also involve some Republicans. I'm not sure of that. I haven't heard any reporting about that. But, you know, it's one of these schemes whereby rather than, you know, I've got to fill out reporting forms, ethics forms, even on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights that pattern what the the House of Representatives have to do. And the reason for that is you want to make sure there are no conflict of interests. Uh, And in the worst case scenario, that there there is an outright bribery and all kinds of other things. But but what's what's happening is there there are mechanisms by which the system appears to be gained, and that is instead of if if a relative receives millions of dollars, well that's not reportable if it's completely separate and distinct from any enterprise with which you're affiliated, any corporations or anything like that. So you know there's been reports that, for example, Burisma didn't just engage Joe Biden's son, but that there were all manner of payments made to a variety of Democratic um, the families or associates of Democratic office. Holders. Including Pelosi's uh, this, son, right? I think Pelosi's right. Son's uh, and, and, you know, Kerry and others, you know, at least there are reports to that effect. And it, it's what's striking to me is media is not curious about it. We, what we are seeing here is the tip of an extraordinary iceberg. You know, we keep hearing very often about people say, doesn't anyone want to win a Pulitzer anymore? You know, where are the Woodwards and Bernsteins? We have exposed. Um, the makings of one of the greatest political scandals of all, we already have had the greatest political scandal of all time, but the continuation of it, it's, it's truly an amazing thing. And it's not just Ukraine. It appears as if, you know, there have been payments from other nations where we've got uh, interests or members of Congress have some type of oversight authority re- with respect to the relationship uh, and trade with that particular uh, country. So, I agree with you, Bob, and it goes to another point that I'll make very briefly, and that is, you know, there's been some talk about what should be the nature of the trial in the Senate, and you and I were on that stage with Hugh and Sebastian Gorka uh, talking about, um, you know, what happens when it goes over to the uh, Senate, and Hugh said, well, you know, he thinks it should be dismissed quickly, you know, and there's an argument for that, which I get. It's, I think it's a credible argument. It, it yeah. is, however, one with which I disagree, and I stated my position there. I think that when we have the greatest political scandal of all time, and we've had people who have tried to stage, in effect, a coup, there has to be a public accounting for political hygiene, and we're not getting that accounting from the media. And if we simply just, and I know it's tough, I know the easy thing to do, the most expedient thing to do would simply be to shut it down. Don't even give it any credence. There's no evidence there, and treat it uh, as the absurdity that it is. But that leaves uncovered all of the mess that we are hearing about. When the IG's report, Bob, came out, you and I both knew the media was going to try to cover up the essential findings of the IG report. And that, they didn't just cover it up. They bald face lied about it, told the opposite of what the IG had found. So the same is true for all manner of things related to impeachment, the Russiagate um, uh, investigation. Sure, some of this is going to come out during the Durham investigation, most likely, and maybe, I hope, in, cer- in certain trials. But I don't think all of it is, and we can't be certain of that. So I think, yes, it is a risk. It's a risk if you take a full-blown trial. But you know what? The health of the greatest country on the face of the earth depends upon transparency and a true accounting of something of this magnitude. When someone tried to overturn, like the text, you know, he's never going to win. We have an insurance policy. The more you think about that statement coming from 
an important person in the most powerful law enforcement agency in the world and given the imprimatur by the director, apparently, by all measures, mm-hmm. it's extraordinary what's happened. We are not the Soviet Union. We are better than that. We are the United States of America. You get elected as a member of the House of Representatives or senator to do the hard work. Not an easy pass. And sometimes it has political fallout. So be it. I'd want to win. I want to do everything we can to win. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But whether it's in an impeachment trial or some related ancillary proceeding or both, this has got to be adduced. All the evidence has got to come out. The questioning with respect to Hunter Biden, I want to see as witnesses, Bob, bare minimum. I don't care so much about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. That's fine. There are a whole host of witnesses, starting with James Comey, Clapper, Brennan, the Struck and Page people. Uh, But most importantly, who is at the center of all this? Hillary Clinton was the one who purchased. She was the one colluding with the Russians. And none of this whatsoever could have occurred without the then president of the United States knowing about him. I want them all on the witness stand. Peter, that is all extraordinarily important and very accurate and very well said. i got two other quick ones for you. Number one, uh, about Hunter Biden, this isn't something that a lot of people talk about. Uh, it's not just that he was on that board, but people have asked about his compensation, reported to be between fifty dollars and $83,000 per month. Uh, people want to know, how does that amount compare to the other board members who actually have experience in energy, natural gas, and oil, and in Ukraine? Well, that amount is not just double the amount of the other board members. It's not even triple, nor quadruple. It is roughly 12 times the amount of other board members at similar-sized companies in the similar in similar industries. Uh, a watchdog report was done on this. He's literally the average salary for a board member of companies like Burisma is fifty to eighty-three thousand dollars per year, and they were giving it to him per month for what? For what expertise that he would bring? And I think we all know access to daddy. And that's it. Now, and I just wanted to share that with you in case you didn't know the numbers. And then the other thing is a question from a loyal listener who asked me the other day about this. Speaking to the IG's report, it has been proven now that the FBI um, uh, made significant, 17 significant errors and omissions. They called them mistakes. Jim Comey called it on TV sloppiness. We all know what it really was. But the point is they presented inaccurate information under some capacity to the FISA court, and the FISA judges gave the warrants that they were seeking based on that false information. A, call, a caller wants to know, can FISA judges or do they have any recourse against those who presented them with inf- incorrect information? Is there any contempt or anything else that a FISA court judge can do to those who came to them with false information and and, uh, uh, essentially got those warrants from those judges that were not due? Yeah, unfortunately, I've never practiced before FISA. I don't know all the rules. What I can tell you generally, though, is it is completely verboten to present that kind of false information on being charitable to a court and doing so attesting to the veracity of it. There are a whole host of sanctions that every judge I know would be dropping on you in a heartbeat. And if there were any lawyers, like the lawyer um, who purportedly changed the email, he's got serious issues in terms of criminal prosecution, but he would also be sanctioned by the court and the Bar Association. You're going to lose your license over something like that if proven to be true. Again, I'm, I'm saying, I'm using, I'm couching my language. The IG found that it happened. 
Okay, so if, if these individuals, whether you're a lawyer or not, and you present this kind of false information, mislead the court in that fashion, there's not a judge around who's going to be pleased about that. There's not a judge around who's not going to bring the boom down on you. And I expect that at some point, who knows when it will happen, uh, it, it will occur. There will be bar association sanctions possibly related to it. I, I get it. Your listeners are going, yeah, right, Kirsten Al. They're Democrats. Nothing's ever going to happen. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. I think we're all dispirited, which is one of the reasons why I think there has to be a full accounting. I'm going to give you one other uh, uh, set of facts, Bob, along with the Biden thing. Um, remember, um, McCabe's wife was running for a legislative position in the state of Virginia at the time all of this was going on, and it came out that she got $750,000 from the Clinton concerns. And I was curious about that, too. $750,000, how does that compare with other campaigns, individuals running for the Virginia state legislature? The average expenditure is $45,000. Okay? So that tells you something about what's been going on here. All these things need to be examined. All of them have to be accounted for. And for the sake of the American people, again, I'm not gonna, I don't want to repeat myself, it's important for people to believe in the country, the integrity of our institutions, the integrity of the people that man the institutions, and that cannot happen when everyone I talk to out, out in the, the field here believes that these folks are going to get away with it. That, that, that is not the way a republic can continue to sustain itself if we think there will not be a just accounting for all of the miscreants that have, it's, it's extraordinary what's happened. I'm not going to recount all of it, but Bob, you know what there are. I do. And, and, and I'll say this to wrap it up. John Durham, no pressure, but uh, the future of the Republic may rest on you for the reason you just laid out there, uh, Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow, thank you so much, my friend. Congratulations again on another, another appointment to the uh, Civil Rights Commission, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bob. You got it. There you go. It's Peter Kersenow. It's 1052. Back right after this. Outstanding segment or two or three with Peter Kirsten out <clears throat> did a uh, phenomenal job of explaining uh, the the extraordinarily important extraordinary importance of this. As to the question I asked him that TJ was asking me, if you listen uh, on a regular basis, you know TJ and I were talking about this a couple of days ago and then again today about the FISA court judges whether or not they have any recourse uh, when somebody lies to them and presents information to them. And the answer he said was yes, kind of. They can, you know, there can be a movement to revoke law licenses. Uh, there can be contempt of court, but I don't know if the judge can in- institute um, those, you know, those hearings. I don't know that a judge, a FISA court judge, that's why I asked Peter how that works, and he's not 100% sure either. Uh, but if someone did move to disbar or to revoke or to suspend a law license for knowingly presenting false information to the court, then the judges could certainly rule on that in and in their favor. <clears throat> but I don't know that a judge is actually going to like contact a prosecution someplace and say, hey, bring a movement against uh, this guy because uh, I want to disbar him. I really don't know the ins and outs of all of that. But, uh, uh, but I know Peter, it is interesting that Peter said, yes, judges can have some recourse uh, when they are lied to, especially if it's proven to be intentional. So I want to just uh, leave with uh, more on the Biden thing because it's become, as I said before, taboo. You're not allowed to talk about the Biden corruption. Joe Biden says, there was no corruption. How do you know, Joe? Uh, because I trust my son. Oh, that's it. 
We don't need an investigation into the, we don't need to talk to the Burisma board members who hired him. We don't need to talk to members of the, uh, the State Department when Obama was uh, in, in his second term, the, uh, 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 Kerry State Department. We don't need to talk, uh, to any of them about what kinds of, um, uh, information was shared between Ukraine and the United States. We don't need to know because he says he trusts his son. And if you need backup for that, well, so does Mrs. Biden. I want to ask you about the confluence of, of family and politics, and it's something that you have had to reckon with over mm-hmm. the course of, of this campaign. Um, your family has been brought to the center of it in a way that yeah. perhaps you didn't expect or, or he didn't expect. How do you reckon with that? How do you wrestle with the fact that those whom you love are at the center of, yes, this campaign, but also this huge, uh, not historically unprecedented, but rare national moment? Well, you know, when Joe and I decided to run for president, um, when we made that decision, you know, we knew it was going to be tough. Our family knew it was going to be tough. But we could never have imagined that it would turn into that Donald Trump would be asking a foreign government to get involved in our elections. And I think, you know, Donald Trump has shown us who he is. And this has been a real distraction. And uh, I think it just proves that he's afraid to run against my husband, Joe Biden. When Hunter's name was first mentioned, when this became something that started to percolate, how did you react to that? And, and when you look at the longevity of this, has it lasted longer than you expected? How do you deal with the fact that it seems so unrelenting? Well, you know, I mean, I know my son. I know my son's character. Hunter did nothing wrong. And that's the bottom line. That's it. That's the investigation the Bidens are comfortable with. Joe Biden says, I trust my son. He did nothing wrong. Jill Biden says, me too. I trust my son. He did nothing wrong. She just said he did nothing wrong and then stopped talking. That's it. And we're just supposed to accept that. Because the cokehead who was booted out of the Navy and then left his wife for his brother's widow is trustworthy. That's it. It is an amazing thing. And if you question any of the above, you are the one who is uh, to be blamed. It's unbelievable. That's all the time we've got. Thanks for being a part of the show today. I wanted to leave you on that note. Um, Jim Jordan, Congressman Jordan, joins us on Tomorrow's Authority. Mike Gallagher's next. Have a good one. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.